Hey guys, welcome back. BDC Gary here. We're back with our weekly Q&A videos. This is season eight, episode 19. Uh, just to start off, if you're on YouTube right now, uh, go ahead and check out the links in the description to access this on all the major podcasting platforms. And if you're on the podcasting platform and you've never heard of the channel somehow, uh, go ahead and check us out at BDC Gary Gaming on YouTube. And since you mentioned that, it just occurs to me now we're doing this video. It's funny, I've played Injustice so long, and it's been such a part of my life for I don't know years, that I just realized when I'm watching this video, I'd actually done a a five ultimate run. And mm -hmm. I realized, why is it taking so long, even with the Flashpoint team? And that was my cue that I needed to restart my phone, because whatever it accumulated was slowing stuff down enough. Yeah. And my the way I could tell was playing Injustice. Yeah, and your your internal clock was accurate enough that you're like, this is slower than it's supposed to be. This is not be. right. <laughs> is Without so even like specifically timing it. Yeah. Interesting. And, yeah, and so this is the the sec the better run. This is the one after I'd restarted the phone, so it goes a little faster. Okay, that's kind of fun. So we've got actually a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about before we get into questions this week. I think. Yeah. Well, it's of its time, right? Like I I think. Definitely stuff that's interesting to us. So just very recently, we watched a movie that I would like to recommend to anybody who's listening to this. Yeah. And it's weird because I can't... A lot of movies, we recommend them. There's like a 10-second elevator pitch, which is the idea that you can summarize mm -hmm. the, the kind of movie it is by saying, well, it's like this. Yeah. I think the best way to describe it, because it also works better the less you know about it, yeah. is that it is a movie uh, filming that is using footage from a live theater show. Right. And it's got sort of relatively little extra stuff done. It's just edited and shot from footage from the live show. Right, right. Um, with sort of whatever extra stuff you need because uh, to, like, understand it. Yeah, it, it, so more than almost any other movie I think that I've ever seen, it's important... It, it improves your enjoyment of the movie, I think, if you go on completely cold. Mm -hmm. If you have not a lot of idea of what's going on, just that the, if enough that will convince you that you just want to see this. Yeah, so in and of itself. Yeah. It's I'm sure they have trailers for it, but I'm not even, I didn't even go and watch the trailer, so I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, maybe if we come back to it next week, we, everybody's had a, a week's chance to, to watch it and then we yeah. can talk about it and maybe do a little bit of spoilers because it only came out yeah. like a couple weeks ago. It's like a one-man show and it's a guy mostly talking. And I think that's none of that spoils what it is at all. Yeah. Um, and it's a weird... It's hard well, to describe. Yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to classify. It's hard to describe and I wouldn't want to describe it even if I could. Yeah. Uh, it's a surprisingly touching experience. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing that was interesting that was sort of been played out over the last week in, in, in funny different ways. So GameStop. Yeah. Um, and the one thing I want to say before we talk about GameStop specifically is that it's such... Because the points I want to get to is that it's, it's so interesting to me that news stories very much are not just facts, no matter how much people would like to pretend that, that it has to do with just actual, you know, like incontrovertible truths it changes how you look at the facts when the narrative of the story about where you sort of that 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 framework the skeleton that you hang the story from 
um, where you put its story together where it all fits, completely changes it. And the reason why I bring that up is because I was reading a, um, a Twitter thread by Cory Doctorow, who's an accomplished science fiction author. He was the founder of Boing Boing. He's, I don't know, he plays a very prominent role in the EFF. And my my sort of minor connection to fame is that he used to work at BACA. Yeah. He actually worked at BACA at the same time uh, my best friend works there, worked there. Mm-hmm. And that back back is the science fiction bookstore, the oldest science fiction bookstore in North America. And yeah, it's it's just kind of cool. Anyways, uh, I'll link the thread in the description. There's one where it's the Twitter thread and then one where he's got his new site, Pluralistic, where he has the whole article without any ads or um, cookies or anything like that. Yeah. And um, so what do you what do you know about GameStop? What it what do you what was your impression that you got? about it when you heard about it so i know about the where it sort of originated from which is reddit and wall street bets um and i know that it was a bunch of people basically investing in it and artificially inflating the value and that the primary goal was to screw over hedge funds mm-hmm. that's that's the information that i have and I've got some other stories that there was somebody who made big money from it and cashed out and bought a bunch of Nintendo Switches and games for, like, a local children's hospital and stuff. Oh, cool. Um, and the guy was saying, like, it's cool and very heady. Like, it's a rush to, like, be profitable like this. Right. right? But it's important. He's like, I think that if we're taking a moral stance and we're trying to say that we're better than these Wall Street people, it's also important not to do the same thing that they're doing and right. profit off of the backs of other people and... Uh, be sort of greedy and selfish in the same ways just as a smaller fish right so he's like so i felt i feel he's like i feel i felt really good about what happened with the GameStop stock but i feel a lot better actually now having given that profit away too right he's like and he's like to me that was like an important and necessary second step to so that my intentions remained uncorrupt right it's ironic actually when you say that that what play one of the the big players that's pretty prominent in the story is robin hood the mm-hmm. platform that people were doing the trades on. Yeah. Um, which is kind of funny. So anyways, you got to read the stuff that Cory Doctorow writes because it's re- really interesting and it's illuminating. Mm-hmm. But there is a few points that, that were particularly interesting to me that I wanted to sort of touch on. And that's the narrative part. And so you, you mentioned uh, the first one, right? So yeah. one of the most prominent sort of stories behind it in terms of what, how people are putting it together. Because this, keep in mind, it's not just one actor doing the one thing with one intention. It's a whole bunch of people working in concert and they're not all after the same thing. Yeah. So one of the prominent versions of the story is that the guys on the subreddit Wall Street Bets, uh, it was a bunch of angry regular investors. They call those, I guess, retail investors because they do it one-on-one instead of like the big fund investors, right? Yeah. There's a huge amount of money moving through it. Um, they were angry and they realized that they could influence the market by making decisions about what shares to buy so that they could take shares that were doing poorly like GameStop or AMC and mess up the markets. Mm-hmm. And as just... Or Nokia. Or Nokia, right. As a just sort of big middle finger to... Um, just to show that they actually had some power that they weren't just, you know, small potatoes. This, there's another story that talks about how um, they were really re- trying to hack the system. So they are um, inflicting pain on those big hedge funds, like you said, right? Yeah. Um, 
and they can get make some gains for themselves. But it's, again, a big middle finger to Wall Street, who's been sort of taking advantage mm-hmm. um, and, and really making money off the back of regular investors. Mm-hmm. The third story that he talks about, though, is that um, there's... It's not just that. So what he mentions is that there's the the platform called Robinhood where a lot of those Wall Street bets investors mm-hmm. do day trading on. And day trading is the idea that during the day you spend the whole day following the ups and downs and that you make money riding the waves, selling low, or sorry, selling high, buying low. Yeah. But you're looking at the fluctuations in the day. Now, what that depends on, because each time you make a trade, it costs you money. Yeah. Apparently, Robinhood did not charge people for it. Oh, interesting. So, how do you make money? Like, something that's normally, that you normally charge for, that you're doing for free, how is the money made? And the idea is that um, it's like, there's a saying, I think, right? That if there's, what is it? I'm going to screw this up. If you're, if if it doesn't cost you anything, Mm -hmm. and... If the service doesn't cost any money, then you are the service. Then you're the product. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, all right. So, the, um, they let regular guys buy and sell stocks for free. Mm-hmm. They do it because they're partnered with institutional investors. And Robinhood lets the institutional, gives the institutional investors, um, information about what these guys are buying. So, basically, surveillance. Um, so they're selling your data the same as Facebook or anything yes. else, but they're selling your trade data. Right. Um, and so these, these sort of um, partners that they have, they are paying Robinhood to tell them what its customers are buying or what they're about to buy. Oh, does it wait on sending through orders for other people to be able to get in right. stuff first? So that's called front running, where when you know they're putting in an order, because the order doesn't, you don't just click on something and then you buy or sell it, right? Because yeah. there's a process and you you're, there's a sort of a, a lag a buffer mm-hmm. built in. So they expect a leg. So what happens during that time, a front runner finds out what you're buying, buys it first, mm-hmm. jacks up the price a little bit, and then sells it to you. So those mm. institutional investors or even those other financial partners can profit off you first, right? Yeah. Um, so the other thing is that you could buy it and keep it because then you know when those investors are going to be buying through Robinhood, yeah. it's going to go up too. Yeah, so you can just make money with it. But so, it lets you get in faster. It lets right. you read other people's, almost like their intentions. Right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you can squeeze in before and do a quick flip so you just make the money in there and be in and out. Or you could buy and keep it for a little bit because you know it's going to go up because of those other people buying it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... That's crazy to me. Like, it's just... It's funny to me that like everybody's talking about um, the shorting and the options and the whatever. Actually, that that's another discussion too because I just learned something too that there's two different ways to basically bet against uh, a company that it'll go down. Mm-hmm. And the problem with those bets, the big one of the biggest problems is that it helps you make more money than you should with the amount of money that you've got, but you also can potentially lose more money than you have. Right. Um, so, all right. So there's. Um, there's a thing called a put option where you somebody sells you the right to buy a stock at a certain price. Now it's going to be higher than what it is right now. Yeah. So if it does if it goes high enough, then that put option is worth something to you. 
if it goes high enough, the person who sold it to you is going to be losing money because then they have to sell it to you at the time yeah. at what's going to be lower price. Your other option is short selling. Wait, so then what the person who is selling you the option, they're basically making the assumption or they're betting on the fact that the stock won't go above that price. Won't go high enough that it actually costs the money. Okay. Because they're just making money. They're get, for a small fraction of it. Um, and short selling is a little different where you borrow somebody else's stock mm-hmm. and you have to return it to them at a certain time. And that costs you something too. No, it just costs you something. Like whatever percentage you, pro- you have to give it back to them at a certain time and it costs you something too. But what you can do in the meantime is if you want to make a profit, you're going to sell it yeah. and hope to buy it back at a cheaper price. So both ways are betting on the stock going down. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, both what yeah, um, both ways are ways that you can bet on the stock to go down and take advantage of it, right? And the mm-hmm. interesting part that that Cory Doctorow touches on too is that if you buy options, it's a push to the person who's selling you the option to buy stocks now, because if there's a fear to cover their basis, if there's a chance that the stock price is going to go up, they want to limit their losses. So they're yeah. going to have it in hand now. So that if they need to, they're not going to lose as much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what were, what were we talking about? All right, so one thing I was getting at, and I, I, I didn't think I hit every point was, so that partner um, for Robinhood, one of, their big, one of the biggest partners is Citadel Securities. So Citadel, Citadel Securities gets to see what everybody's doing. Yeah. So um, they can... Uh, see all the orders before they're filled. They get to make some money by filling the orders. They could buy some of the same stocks for themselves and make a profit on them. Or they can also sell options and, and make money. Mm-hmm. And so as much as the average Joes are making, the big institutional investor, Citadel, is also making money because they're basically, you know, it's like the joke that... Uh, the only person who really wins when when you have a lawsuit are the lawyers, right? Because yeah, who, doesn't matter which team wins. Lawyers are getting paid. Mm-hmm. So Citadel is getting paid because they're involved in all these trades, and they also have the, the your data to take advantage of it, right? Yeah. And the the losers then are the competitors who don't know what's going on. They have short positions where they get burnt. They have been betting against these companies that all of a sudden their stock goes up. Yeah, so you're screwing one big guy, but there's still other <laughs> big guys in the mix, basically. Right. So what's funny is there's a a fund called Melvin Capital. They were really they had a really big short position on GameStop. They went bust because of that, and uh, Citadel bought out Melvin cheap. Mm. So it's just there's so much more going on than the basic story that we hear in the newspaper because the idea of all this other stuff, it, like, it, it, I, I just didn't see any of that in other places. Yeah, no, I didn't know any of that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it is interesting, too, because it's, it's kind of a... It, more than just an investment story, it's also a story about uh, the will of the government and what people are or are not prioritizing because... For people who couldn't work because of the pandemic, right? Pandemic's in what, almost a year now? Mm-hmm. How long did it take to have the 
the emergency funds and the support for for them. Oh, a long time. I mean, definitely in Canada, we've been much better. But in the States, I've been hearing stories about how they had to fight for so long for even just a 600 bucks. And not just for a month. That was like a one-time payment. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. How did they expect people to survive on 600 bucks? Um, so the, but when you look at what, how long did it take to, to have them stop trading? On oh, so fast. Days. Yeah. So they're prioritizing rich people. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because the stock price is going <coughs> down straight again. Yeah. I mean, it's unsustainable in a lot of ways. I mean, for a stock price to keep on going up, somebody else has got to buy it. It's almost like a Ponzi scheme where if you don't get any new investors who are willing to lay down money and who are potentially going to get take a loss, right? Because it's really the only people who are going to make the money are people who are in early yeah. and sold it to the next group of people. And so there's no there's no long-term investment to be made there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because they're like the way that it just went up and down so fast, the way people just bet on it. Like they're, it, it really does sort of show off how arbitrary yeah. elements of the stock market are. And in the past, right. I can understand there being more of a significance to stock when you had voting stock, when you would, you know, essentially own stake in a company when you have stuff like dividends, right? Sharing of profits. Yeah. I understand how that actually um, makes stock significant, right. right? But the way that we're interacting with stock a lot of the time now, if you don't have voting shares, if you're yeah. not somebody with a high enough percentage of the total stocks um, for you to have a meaningful stake in the company, uh, the way that most people interact with it, stocks mean almost nothing. Right. Well, when you, they don't yeah. actually have any sort of tie to anything real in the company. You're talking about this is fu- funny point you bring up because you tie you talk about the ties that we have to it and what it means. It means even less now than it even ever did before because back in the old days when you had shares of a stock, you actually had a piece of paper yeah. that showed that you have ownership. Now we spend so much time doing. It's like the way money's gone. We spend so much time doing things with this imaginary thing called a stock that has no bearing on our, our physical world yeah there's no physical form there's nothing and it's it's just super arbitrary right yeah. where i understand there are still companies in which stock really does matter there are still yeah. companies where um people own enough stock to have a stake in the company and that is how like people within the company itself actually like at least in part mark like ownership right right uh and that makes sense to me uh, but for the average investor, for retail investors, yeah. what does it mean, right? What it means for me is when I have a stock and they ask me to vote each year, I vote against what their recommendations are every single time. For every stock you for own? every single time. Just because? Just because. I think it, it, it listen, it, it probably, it makes no difference. But if there's somebody who's going to be pushing for something, right, that's important, or even if it's not important, I want to keep them at least honest and not so comfortable thinking, yeah, we'll just do whatever we want because we, <laughs> we own the company, we run the company, right? So you're just antagonizing everybody. <coughs> I am. Fun. I am. For whatever limited amount of power you have. Well, what else is it going to do? Otherwise, it's just letting money sit in a hoard and try to accumulate it, right? And it's not even like it's a significant... It, like you said, you don't have enough shares. The amount is not significant enough to make a real impact on the direction the company goes. But I figured worse would be just giving them carte blanche to do whatever they want, thinking that they have the mandate of everybody who's there. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, was that enough? It seems. All right. So we should probably put a note in the, in the description that the, 
questions start around the 20 minute mark. Oh, questions don't start yet though. I wanted to talk. Have you <coughs> heard about the subway lawsuit? No. What subway lawsuit? Uh, so this is fun. I heard it in a couple different places and I also heard them talk about it on Mabim Bam. Um, but so there's, um, there's a lawsuit against Subway that their, their tuna in their tuna sandwiches doesn't have any tuna in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard that. I think, um, I, all right, yeah, yeah, okay, that sounds familiar. And so there, there was a lawsuit and Subway said, this is like slander. This is, uh, really bad. Uh, you're it's potentially, if it's not true. They're like, yeah, but they're like, you're, um, screwing over franchisees and, you know, it's our delicious tuna uh, is, and, like, our, our, like, fresh Atlanticot or whatever, whatever their line is, like, is the reason, its quality is the reason why it's one of our most popular sandwiches, um, and then they offered, without making any specific reference to the lawsuit, they offered a 15% off deal on any one tuna sandwich with the promo code It's Real. <laughs> I-T-S-R-E-A-L. So it's like Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops lost the loss, or, uh, won the lawsuit when people were accusing it of not having real fruit, that it was advertised to be fruit, but they said, mm-hmm. listen, it's spelled Fruit Loops. It's not even F-R-U-I-T, it's F-R-O-O-T. So it's only libel or slander or yeah. whatever the version is if it's not true. Yeah, but I, unfortunately, Subway did, did not call it tuna with two O's. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's a lawsuit going on, and apparently whoever is suing them has alleged that they had, like, a lab, like, test what was in it, and it was, quote, anything but tuna, which oh. is interesting. It's hard, I, I'm i gonna have to see how it goes, because I find um, either result confusing. I can't imagine somebody being inclined to sue Subway and say that there's no tuna in their tuna sandwiches. It is different to say that there's, like, fish other than tuna, Yeah. Um, but to say that there's no tuna in it um, from their test is really an interesting claim. Right, that I can't imagine how. somebody making oh with a basis, basis, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Subway coming after and saying we, you know, plan to uh, handle this like we're not like they they really have the statement that sounds like they're not budging. Right. It's hard for me to imagine them taking such a strong stance instead of trying to make the story quiet and settling out of court. Um, yeah. If you know the people suing them have. Uh, a right to make that claim, and I think they right. establish that it's like a hundred percent tuna or whatever that it's just tuna and mayo, um, in it. So I, it's interesting because I don't actually know, right? And I I don't have any love lost for Subway, and I don't even know who's suing them, so I or, definitely or don't lawyers. have any. Yeah, I I don't have any loyalty sort of to either party, but I have a hard time imagining either party, um acting the way they are if they are in the wrong so i'm or if they think of, they're in the wrong yeah 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 i so mean i like i like subway i like subway fine i i find it convenient i mean more so than say it's listen when you're in a strange place and you're not really sure where you want to go and sometimes you want something a little bit familiar mm-hmm. i prefer subway over mcdonald's right like mcdonald's is everywhere and so is subway do you okay yeah, so That's I actually, I, I like I'm the options. I'm kind of neutral on Subway. I think it's fine. I think we had a bunch of coupons for something at one point yes. for Subway, and it was very cheap, and that was great. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's relatively good food. Um, you know what you reminded me of? Um, Rick Astley did an AMA on Reddit yeah. and had a bunch of really good um, down-to-earth uh, answers for stuff. Yeah. And so one of the things is somebody asked him what his, like, favorite food was or something yeah. like that. Um, and he had a really long, good answer where he's like, I'm going to tell you, but then I'm going to have to qualify it. And his favorite food was a ham and cheese sandwich. Oh, okay. And the reason why 
is that he said when he was on tour, um, you would <laughs> spend a ton of time in a like car or vehicle, tour bus, whatever. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't be able to stop. You'd be on sort of a tight schedule, and so you'd eat at a lot of places where <laughs> traditionally you don't <laughs> get meals. You have right. to eat at like a lot of gas stations and stuff like right. that. Right. And ham and cheese sandwiches are hard enough to screw up that right. you almost never have one that's going to make you sick. Uh, right. They're the most consistent, where it's hard to make a really good or a really bad ham and cheese sandwich. It tastes they're very almost similar. Yeah. the same quality. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're they're reliable, consistent, and safe. And so he would always look forward to uh, the ham and cheese sandwiches at like a gas station or whatever, because he knew that that had the least chance of screwing him over. Right. So it was sort of a lifeline for him, where it was the in a lot of cases, like, the only correct choice where he wasn't going to have, like, gas station <laughs> shrimp sandwiches. The only correct choice. Yeah. Where yeah. There, was a, there was a lot of choices that were gambles, and the ham and cheese sandwich was good enough that he was always okay having it, and oh. never bad enough to screw him over. Okay, I love that. Yeah, it was very, it's a, it was a very, very down-to-earth, um, humanizing moment for Rick Astley. And that, overall, that thread was a great example of um, a celebrity... <clears throat> who was taking the right sort of approach to doing that, like AMAs, that right. sort of self-promo stuff. Right, because you do, f- I hear that answer and I feel like I know Rick Astley a little bit more. Yeah, and yeah. I like him a little bit more. He yeah. seems like a better person or a person that I would like to hang out with more. Yeah. Uh, that was the same thread where somebody um, posted and they said like, oh my God, um, I loved you so much. I listened to you as a kid or whatever. I actually saw you a bunch of years ago. Um, like play live or whatever, and I got right. this picture with you and post a link, and it was uh never gonna give you up, and they Rick rolled her ghastly. <laughs> he just commented saying, "I don't remember." He said something. It wasn't exactly this, but it was something like "You got me," or it was just like an emoji or something like that. It was it was some nominal response to indicate that he had seen it. Right, and um, he watched it, so he knew he he knew what it was, so he got caught. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. So that was it was a great thread. Yeah. Um, and especially when there's also <laughs> a lot of examples on um. I, uh, AMA, like the AMAs yeah. that are really terrible where like, I yeah. forget there was one person who just was like, clearly didn't know what was going on. Um, and thought they were just doing sort of like a promo circuit thing and right. would only answer questions about like the movie that was about to come out. Um, oh. basically and it was like, okay, but like, we're not talking about whatever. Right. And just like redirecting to it over and over again. Right. Um, which is pretty terrible. It's like in yeah. the old days when a guest came on the Howard Stern show and clearly had no idea who Howard Stern was or what to expect. Yeah, I'm <laughs> not familiar with that. All right, You've yeah. dated yourself. <laughs> I have. Yeah. There we go. Right. Anyways, finally, uh, into All the right. questions. Only 27 minutes So in. i got to remember to put that. The 27 minutes is when we start hearing the questions. Mm-hmm. All right. So our first comment slash question comes from Apocalypse. And they say, the problem with the Black Lives Matters protests was that there were people who were joining into the protests that didn't care about Black Lives Matter. The violent end of Capitol Hill organized protest article by Vox showed as much when one of the quotes that you said, the people with the loudest voice are all sharing the same F capitalism slash establishment slash burden all down rhetoric. This and all the riots that damaged billions in government buildings and businesses are why the two events are being compared. In any case, the Capitol Hill event has sparked a cascade of events. From Twitter banning accounts deemed as Trump supporters, a blacklist being made to block anyone deemed a Trump supporter from publishing books, all the way to a children's <coughs> channel executive that was um, that disgustingly states that children of Trump supporters should be taken away and put into re-education camps. Videos on the respective topics, and then there was a couple of videos yeah. linked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't see the videos. Yeah. Um, 
But I think, I mean, there are so many things that we could potentially talk about with that. I don't think we need to get into all the There's ideas. bits and pieces. I think the Twitter banning the Trump supporters thing is something that I um, have looked at. Because um, <laughs> there was, so in the wake of Trump being banned from Twitter, right, yeah. um, a bunch of conservative, uh, usually more specifically Republican, um, and also usually more specifically you could describe them as right-wing mm-hmm. um, people, uh, we're talking about how they had lost a lot of followers <laughs> and what had actually happened by Twitter. Um, the sort of big move that made people lose followers en masse was that Twitter banned a lot, like a lot, a lot of QAnon accounts. Right. And that was actually one of the things that happened. And so it's interesting. Um, I listened to a podcast about it. We mentioned it before. Reply All, really good. Yep. Uh, their most recent episode, as this video comes out, it's like 19 days ago or something like that, mm-hmm. give or take maybe 20 days, um, was about um, sort of all of that stuff. And mm-hmm. so what's what's interesting and was the sentiment that I tend to agree with that was expressed by uh, the podcast hosts was that there was a lot of stuff that was good and bad where it's hard to feel good about all of the bannings um, right. or just unilaterally good because I think Trump should be banned, <laughs> right? Like, I think that was a, an appropriate step. Right. I think QAnon people uh, espouse a lot of dangerous rhetoric. I think it is really damaging. And I think um, recruitment of people into QAnon has really been harmful to families, to the individuals who get recruited. It is... Uh, in a lot of ways, operates the same way as a cult does, where it really does isolate you from your family. Right. And it isolates you from people who could support you. And it sort of um, puts the... All your support comes in the form of these people who are teaching you dangerous rhetoric, right? And who are like, well, mm-hmm. you know, you don't you don't need anybody else. It's, you're with us here coming to the conspiracy, right? And you, right. you get taken care of by sort of these people. And so I think it makes a lot of sense to try to limit that spread because it is very right. damaging. But it also is hard um, even when uh, they're doing the stuff that you think they should be doing to put power in the hands of platforms like Twitter and Facebook and mm-hmm. specifically like the people <laughs> at the top of those organizations um, to basically control who, who does and who doesn't have a platform. Right? right. Or I think as a general rule of thumb Obviously, you do want to deplatform people, but we've seen from how long they've taken to do stuff and the way that they've gone about it and all these other little things. And, you know, just looking at the actual individuals, you know, on the top, right? Like Mark Zuckerberg. Like, I really, I don't trust that guy's opinion um, enough to think that he should be in a position to have so much control over who is, you know, platformed on one of the largest um, platforms in the world. But it speaks to a bigger problem, right? I mean, if you look at the solution to say... That, well, they should just keep them on. That's not the answer. The answer is you need to um, enforce antitrust laws and not let people have such big monopolies or is it the word oligopolies where there's a small number of people that actually have the control. Mm-hmm. Break them up. Yeah. Like the, the fact that the, he was able to use Facebook to buy a whole bunch of other related apps like or not so related apps like um, WhatsApp. Does mm-hmm. he own Instagram? He does own Instagram. and Or not he specifically, but like it, Instagram is a Facebook company. Yeah. that The fact that 
when they were sort of invest not investigating but judging whether that that kind of merger or the buyout was acceptable that he's complaining now that they shouldn't do it because they've let him do it and people are pointing out well you lied when you first made the application to buy stuff and it was based on those lies that your application or your um attempt was approved then yeah. yeah, I think there really is a problem. It's it's the opposite of what people complain about. When people say um, they complain about big government, in this case, government should take a bigger hand in it because government's the only one that's, in the U.S. at least, the government's the only one that's uh, held to the First Amendment. Once you put the control in the hands of private companies, mm-hmm. they can do whatever they damn well please. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's just that one part of the comment where, you know, the people who were banned, <laughs> um, most of them, I think actually all of them were Trump supporters because um, being a QAnon supporter um, necessitates you support Trump because that's sort of one of the buy-ins to agree with QAnon right, is that you right. have to sort of almost unconditionally support Trump. Because that's isn't that one of the f- sort of underlying premises? Yeah, it is. That there's s- somebody in some secret person mm-hmm. in deep state government. And that Trump is operating on sort of a higher level. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that, so it is specific to him. Yeah, that even the things that he does that seem bad uh, will have some underlying <laughs> motivation that is actually good. Right. Um. So it's true that almost all the accounts that were banned were <laughs> Trump supporters, if not all of them. Right. But it is sort of reductive to say that it was only Trump supporters that were banned. And separate from that, the people that were banned were, like, violating like Twitter <laughs> terms of service. Right. Um, and that was just them sort of deciding to classify like spreading right. QAnon rumors as potentially inciting violence. Right, right. So that was sort of the, the moment. So it, I think that as an individual thing, obviously as an individual, you can agree or disagree um, with the decision of Twitter to ban folks, but Twitter as a company, uh, that was not like a pro black lives matter thing. Right. Right. And I don't even think that was actually like led to, uh, you know, that, or I guess you weren't saying that you're saying the Capitol Hill event has sparked a cascade of events. It it was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. In my opinion, if anything, if like knowing that that's a decision that they did actually take, that's an action that they took and that they were willing to take. Um, my, I would have expected them to have done it much earlier, or I would have wanted them to have done it much earlier. The problem with the inconsistency isn't that they finally did it. Really, the problem is they should have done it sooner. Yeah. yeah. So the Capitol Hill uh, riot did indirectly lead to that. And, you know, talking about the Black Lives Matter stuff, I think oh, we can yeah. talk about a lot of the shape of it, right? And but and both of those things, if you talk about the intent or if you talk about the actual outcome, both of those things are very different. Yes. So I think Apocalypse was making a comparison that the outcomes are very similar. Yeah. I think that, that matters. I mean, it comes down to, well, it's very much related to an ethical kind of discussion, right? So the outcome definitely matters. But what matters to me as much, if not more, is what was the intention? Because your outcome can be affected by so many other things. Because you didn't plan well, you there were forces outside your control, the stuff happened that you didn't expect, Mm -hmm. whatever. But if your intention is bad to start with, let's say your intention is to be racist, then that outcome is bad. If your intention is to, well, I don't know, it's, it's kind of reductive to say it like this, but if your intention is bad and bad outcomes happen, that's worse than if your intention is good, if you represent something that I that I think has value, yeah. but the outcome is bad, I think there's a difference, like a big difference. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
what I'm saying. And I, I think it, it is important to note when you talk about that there were people joining in the protest that didn't care, right? Yeah. I think that the idea of not looking at any one action as a monolith is very fair. I think that out of the people who protested at Capitol Hill, right? Not everybody was trying to storm it. Uh, there would have been people there who were trying to um, express <laughs> their displeasure in a legitimate way, right? right? Even if at the end of the day, I don't think like that I disagree with those people. And anybody right. who was trying to make any claims about, um, you know, election fraud, I, I think that there wasn't enough evidence for them to be making the statements that they were. Right. Uh, but I think that those people deserve the right to uh, express themselves right. in, uh, you know, like the appropriate ways. So right. it's not like everybody who went to that protest, I think, is a fundamentally terrible person. I think they agree with <laughs> and support bad people. But I think that is a little different than, um, like, I don't, I don't push all of the blame of, like, the type of person that Trump is onto their shoulders, right, right? just because they like him. I think it does reflect on them, but it would be unfair to sort of lump everybody who protested into, the right. sort of the same pot. This, well, there's degrees of harm. Yeah. Right? It, it really comes to that. Like, so, the people who reign in the Capitol with... Um, uh, Ziploc uh, cuffs. Zip ties, yeah. Zip ties. Yeah, that's a really high level. Guys that came in with with guns, the guys that beat the cops. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's definitely yeah. differences. But I do think, though, that there's you fall on one side of right or wrong if you are going there to protest, you know, the stealing of the vote, and you don't have the um, integrity... Mm -hmm. to recognize that these were all elections across the states that had no proof of any kind of um, fraud. The lawsuits were thrown out and that the only places that they are protesting the votes are in states that they lost mm -hmm. and that they're protesting only the, the part of one part of a ballot that they're saying is fake when there were Republicans that actually won on the same ballot mm -hmm. downstream. Is that what they call it? Downstream? I think like so. Other down things. ballot? <coughs> That's probably the word, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it, it really is important to note the way that these individuals targeted locations too, right? You look at the Black Lives Matter protests, and um, those were mostly local institutions of policing, which are directly related to what these people are protesting for, mm -hmm. right? They're protesting the idea of police, <coughs> so they're coming to justice centers, they're coming to the places that they're accusing of corruption, and they are coming to sort of the seats of local power and local force that has been um, mobilized against them, right? Right. And then when you look at the people storming Capitol Hill, they are coming to a group of people who are, you know, if you adopt their perspective, maybe in one way or another... Um, helped cause this outcome, right? Right. But what they're the goal that they they have when they're showing <coughs> up there, uh, when they're breaking in, when they're trying to disrupt the uh, sort of process of the government, is to uh, do something which is directly illegal. Everybody who tried to break in is trying to um, totally destroy or disrupt sort of natural government functioning. Whereas the people who were coming after the police stations were sort of overcome with emotion and 
you know, you can feel how you want about the damage that they caused, right? But they weren't sort of unseating um, the sort of the fundamental structure of how things worked, right? When you come to a police center and even if you like burn it, police station, you burn it down, it does limit the ability of the police to uh, patrol effectively in an area, right? It does do something, but it you're, you're coming at it with like a fundamentally different goal. Uh, I'm not sure I, because this is the first time I'm hearing this. I'm not sure I can entirely agree. I'm going to have to let that sit for a bit. I, the obvious difference to me or the, the why it's different is less than that they're not disrupting the function is that they are, there's a difference between how tightly you're targeting what you're actually protesting. Mm, okay. So if you're protesting elections, then, and you're protesting the process of it, then the place where you have issue with is the places where the elections are actually taking place. Yeah. And instead of disrupting the main seat of government, which is responsible for so much more than just that. Mm-hmm. As opposed to Black Lives Matter protests, where they were directing their anger towards the um, the institutions that were actually problematic, which was police. But then even then, I struggle a little bit because there were um, there was property damage to things that weren't related to that, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason why there's um, people are taking issue with it. And I think if we focus... I feel like that's why I, I don't want to entirely focus on the, the outcome because you can always... There's always that argument to me, that kind of whataboutism kind of argument where... Um, you compare one to the other, and well, this is just as bad. And if we take a look at what the original intention was, then that's where the differences between the two groups become much more stark mm-hmm. and not as th- subtle. I have to think about that a little bit, though, because I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I have to sort of l- let it stew a little bit. You can also look at the different response by the police, and we did talk about this right <laughs> after it happened, which is that you know there was a startlingly light police response to Capitol Hill. And there is a massively more severe um, response to Black Lives Matter protesters. And there was the the allocation of resources is so shockingly different. And the force used and the brutality against uh, sort of everybody where in a lot of places, you know, when you're tear gassing an area, when you're tear gassing streets and blocks, um, you're also like tear gassing like people driving in cars past it, right, right, right. And when you talk about like just sort of all the collateral damage, where they say like one person is like attacking right. a fence <laughs> or you know like throwing like a can of soup at cops, right. like Trump would say, right. Um, and they are basically just saying, okay, well, you know, it's open season on this whole crowd, right, right. right. Versus at Capitol Hill, um, when you have you know people breaking in and they weren't even you know using a significant amount of force at all the people who were literally actually verifiably illegally trespassing within the building right right right? and so that is a very sort of different response and we talked about it before i'm not saying that you know uh there should have been a lot of a lot more police brutality happening at the capitol hill protest i'm saying that there should be a lot less police brutality happening everywhere when when stuff is unequal you don't assume that everybody wants everything to be worse yeah we want everything to be better Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and it it, so it, it it is really challenging and you can i can understand some of the similarities and some of the things that people are sort of using as sticking points to compare one thing to the other but i think from sort of what happened and looking at 
to talk about what you were saying and looking at sort of what their underlying motivations were or what their express motivations are. Like what, even what they tell you, whether you don't even have to take a guess at what they say, it's what, when they say, when they actually tell you what their intention is, Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is the Capitol Hill protests happened because the president made up a bunch of lies um, and said things with absolutely no evidence to back them up. And the thing about it is that even if later down the line, there is some sort of evidence that is discovered uh, that supports (laughs) anything that Trump was saying. He was in the moment willfully lying. He was making claims and he was, um, you can say that I believe that we will find in the future something along this line, but he was saying, this is what is true without any evidence. So even right. if later, if every single one of his claims, uh, turns out to be in some capacity, uh, verified by the data, he still lied because right. he didn't have access to any of that. Right. Um, when he was making these claims and the people coming out for Black Lives Matter were protesting police brutality and using very concrete examples of things that actually and happened. during the protests, we saw more examples of it. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, the, you know, ex- George Floyd protests and then the sort of like larger Black Lives Matter protests, I don't have data on this, but in my living memory, at least, it, that looks like the most sort of concentrated example of mm. consistent police brutality committed yeah. um in like recent history just right. there because they were constantly right. um <laughs> using force which uh was totally disproportionate right yeah right. so it, it and it is hard i i that's another thing that you're talking about with the way that you um frame the narratives right because right. i think that no matter who you are there is things that have happened during black lives matter protests that might make you think twice about whether or not they were okay. That might potentially make you uncomfortable. Right. 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 Um, and I think depending on the way that you frame it, if those are the only things that you're hearing about, I can understand why people who are told a very specific narrative are made uncomfortable by what happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause it, it is challenging. And I think part yeah. of, you know, the point was making people actually uncomfortable, was yeah. forcing a response. I think that yeah. escalation into, um, you know, damage to federal buildings and all that other stuff, the sort of active conflict yeah. with yeah. the police was at least in part to make people uncomfortable and to force a response. Yeah. I feel like when we've talked so long about one thing, we've still got a couple of questions I do definitely want to get through because we've let them sit for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I want to try to at least sum it up in a certain way because if there is, if something bad happens and I think to myself, I wish, you know, I wish somebody, I agree with their principle, but I wish they'd just gone about it differently. That's a completely different feeling than when I look at them and say, ooh, I wish they'd gone about it differently. I think they're still wrong, even for what they wanted to do. Yeah. I wish they'd gone about it differently two different things to me. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the difference that I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So our next question, um, comes from, uh, R3L14N and, uh, they say again, appreciate the reply guys. Such advice really helps. I guess the last question I could give you guys is how you handle procrastination. Other than that, I think I'm set for the time being. Thanks and keep up the great work as always. You should probably mute your phone by the way. Yeah. So that was the episode where your phone notifications were going off. Yeah, you know what the problem is? The, the amount of time we actually spend filming and the amount of times that I actually need my notifications, if I s- turn them off, I would spend more time not having my notifications because I forget to turn them back on yeah. than I would for the number of times it's actually gone off during yeah. our filming. So what's interesting about procrastination is I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all thing. I think if there was like a 
bullet, like a silver bullet for yeah. procrastination that, you know, everybody would already know about it. Right. Um, I can say what works for me, which is just spending more time than I want to, um, organizing what I need to do. Yeah. Um, preparation, and, you mean? Yeah. That sort yeah. of prep work. So like having yeah. goals, uh, having things, what I found that's been, uh, helpful is, um, timers and setting sort of self timers so that you have clearly <laughs> defined boundaries between working and breaking. And, uh, one of the common recommendations is, uh, 25 minutes and then five minutes, I think, um, for yeah. half hour cycles. I am a little bit looser with it. I do like 50 minutes on and then I watch like an episode of something quick on Netflix. So that's like 22 minutes off. Um, and maybe about 25, you know, getting it set up and sort of, um, getting ready to work again. But it's just, you know, for me, I found that making those delineations between working, not working, and then having specific goals for a day and then having specific goals within like a period of work, um, really helps me manage my own time right. where I know, you know, by the time I go to sleep tonight, I need to be done this much. Uh, yeah. By the time I finish the cycle, I want to be done this much. And this will bring me X percent closer to my goal. And then, you know, sort of figuring out what the maximum amount of productive time you have in a day is. And yeah. then if you get your goal done, giving yourself whatever time that you um, haven't spent. Like if I want to do five 50 minute cycles and I get it done in three, then having that extra two hours uh, just sort of banked up because I have worked efficiently. And I think... Um, if you can sort of force yourself to do that, and if you can do it long enough that you establish a routine, um, that it comes naturally and it's not as much of a slog, that's been what's really helpful for me sort of self-motivating and managing my time in quarantine. Right, right. When I don't have anything that's due at like, when I don't have like a meeting or something where I need to be somewhere <laughs> at a very specific time and I sort of get to, you know, I need to do something by like the end of the week, that's how I manage my time. Right. How about right. you? Do you have recommendations for procrastination? Life... Over life, I mean, over my lifetime, I've just really found that what makes it easy to procrastinate is when I think I have other options and I think there's other things that I want to do. And what makes it harder to procrastinate is if I look at the most unpleasant thing of all the things I need to do and I just lay into it. And then it, it never turns out to be nearly as unpleasant as I think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And I've made some headway before I realize it. And sometimes once I get going, it's easier to keep going. Yeah. And that's but that's just me. Like you said, I don't think there's one size fits yeah, all. Yeah, I think everybody just needs to find some internal framework. I think for almost everybody, starting is way harder. So yeah. you need to figure out what helps you start, what helps you stay on, and what helps you finish. And that yeah. sounds uh, really reductive, but I think past that, you really just need to do trial and error a little bit. And I think what's important about that is actually being motivated to not procrastinate anymore. So asking a question right. about it and like actively looking for stuff because you can look up strategies and then, you right. know, keep trying different stuff and yeah. find one that works. But if you're willing to try different stuff, that's I think most of the, most of the work, I think you'll get it eventually if you're willing to put the effort into figuring it out. Right. And I think that's all we've got time for. We still got another question I meant to get to, but that's all we've got time for this yeah. week. So there we go to finish up. First off, I'd like to give a shout out to Eliza, the child of immigrants, Katen. Her father brings her a bowl of cut fruit every day at exactly 7 PM. Uh, this uh, shout out was brought to you by Eliza again, who wrote this one. That's nice. Yeah. I like that. It's fun. Yeah. Kind of yeah. wholesome. There we go. We'd also like to thank all of our lovely supporters on Patreon. And that is Consul Peasant and Ed Woon at the top tier. Last word, Mohammed Alpshady at the Your Message Here tier, Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Mall, Michael DeVries, Brandon C., Irvin Ruiz, and Eddie Dew at the credited level, and Chris Wolf, Scarlett Danny, Awesome Gamer 2 for 1, Pavu RS, 
Gavimalot, and Isfar-E at the gratitude level. So there we go. Thank you so much for the support, and we'll see you next time. Komoda. Komoda.